Void Hawks. Their bitech science was powerful enough already. A distortion field has locked onto us, Tane Ogilvy reported. His voice was strained, high. We can't jump clear. For a brief moment, Kyle Prager wondered what it would be like to command a Void Hawk, the effortless power and total superiority. It was almost a feeling of envy. Three of the intercepting ships were curving round to chase the Beesling, while the frigates, Chingo and Gombari, only rated one pursuer each. Mother Mary, with that formation they must know what we're carrying. He formed the scuttle code in his mind, reviewing the procedure before datavising it into the flight computer. It was simple enough, shutting down the safeguards in the main drive's antimatter confinement chambers, engulfing nearby space with a nova blast of light and hard radiation. I could wait until the Void Hawks rendezvoused, take them with us. But the crews are only doing their job. The flimsy infrared image of the three pursuit craft suddenly increased dramatically, brightening, expanding. Eight wavering petals of energy opened outwards from each of them, the sharp glaring tips moving swiftly away from the center. Analysis programs cut in, flight vector projections materialized, linking all twenty-four projectiles to the beesling with looped laser-like threads of light, The exhaust plumes were hugely radioactive. Acceleration was hitting 40 Gs. Antimatter propulsion. Combat wasp launch, Tane Ogilvy shouted hoarsely. They're not Void Hawks, Kyle Prager said with grim fury. They're fucking Black Hawks. Omutra's hired Black Hawks. He datavised an evasion maneuver order into the flight computer, frantically activating the Beesling's defense procedures. He'd been almost criminally negligent in not identifying the hostiles as soon as they emerged. He checked his neural nanonics. Elapsed time since their emergence was seven seconds. Was that really all? Even so, his response had been woefully sloppy in an arena where milliseconds was the most precious currency. They would pay for that, maybe with their lives. An acceleration warning blared through the Beesling, audio, optical, and datavise. His crew would be strapped in, but Mother Mary alone knew what the civilians they carried were doing. The ship's acceleration built smoothly, and he felt the nanonic membrane supplements in his body hardening, supporting his internal organs against the G-force, preventing them from being pushed through his spine, ensuring an undiminished blood supply to his brain, forestalling blackout. Beesling shuddered violently as its own volley of combat wasps launched. Acceleration reached eight Gs, and carried on building. In the Beesling's forward crew module, Dr. Alcad Mazou had been reviewing the ship's status as it flew towards their next jump coordinate at one and a half Gs. Neural Nanonics processed the raw data to provide a composite of the starship's external sensor images, along with flight vector projections. The picture unfurled behind her retinas, scintillating ghost shadows, until she closed her eyelids. Chengo and Gombari showed as intense streaks of blue-white light, the glare from their drive exhausts overwhelming the background starfield. It was a tight formation. Chengo was two thousand kilometers away, Gombari just over three thousand. Alcat knew it took superb astrogation for ships to emerge within five thousand kilometers of each other after a jump of ten light-years. Garissa had spent a lot of money on equipping its navy with the best hardware available money which could have been better spent at the university or on supporting the National Medical Service.
Carissa wasn't a particularly rich world, and as to where the Department of Defense had acquired such large amounts of antimatter, Alcad had studiously avoided asking. It will be about thirty minutes before the next jump, Peter Adul said. Alcad cancelled the data vise. The sense of visualization of the ships faded from her perception, replaced by the Spartan grey-green composite of the cabin walls. Peter was standing in the open oval hatch, wearing a dark turquoise shipsuit, padded on all the joints to protect him from bruising knocks in freefall. He smiled invitingly at her. She could see the worry behind the bright, lively eyes. Peter was thirty-five, a metre eighty tall, with skin actually darker than her own deep ebony. He worked in the university mathematics department, and they had been engaged for eighteen months. Never the outgoing, boisterous type, but quietly supportive. One person.